Okay, I'm going to read the scripture from 1 Peter, chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, you may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Strangers and aliens, uh, a few weeks ago as we were studying, uh, studying First Peter on Wednesday night, there's a little phrase that really struck me, and I thought we would just think about it for uh, a number of weeks. And, and the phrase was this, uh, Though they accuse you of doing wrong, or when they accuse you of wrongdoing. And it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. And uh, Peter is writing to, uh, to believers in northern Turkey, and uh, they are being persecuted. And uh, he writes them this letter. And he writes them this letter on how to live in the middle of persecution. And he says, when they accuse you of wrongdoing, this is the way I want you to live. And as I read that, I go, that's the day and age in which we're living today as Christians. It's not, are they going to accuse you of being bad people? The world is accusing us of being bad people. We are the wrongdoers in the eyes of the world. We are the wrongdoers. And uh, so I thought, we should just think about that. How should we live when society considers us to be dangerous or evil? What should we be doing? Okay, so that's, that's where I'm coming from. Last week was part one, and I know not many of you were here. We're not going to recover that. I assume you know it already. So part one, how, what should we do? When people accuse us of being wrongdoers, part one is you've got to know who you are. So know who you are. You read First Peter, you'll see who you are. He talks about that a lot. Today, I want to go to the next slide, Lynn. Uh, here, here, are, well, here are the four points over the next four weeks. Living the Christian life when it's considered dangerous and evil. Or in uh, my text, it's interesting. My, my NIV says this. If I can find it. No, I don't see it. Uh, my, my NIV has a title, Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society. How will we live godly lives in a pagan society? Number one, know who you are. Number two, control your desires. We're going to talk about that today, controlling your desires. Number three, live a good lifestyle and do good deeds. And number four, be ready to speak. Notice with me, 
verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, or you could translate that, when they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And today I want us to think about abstaining from sinful desires which war against your soul. Go to the next slide there, Lynn. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So how bad are your sinful desires? And uh, in the next few minutes, I want you to see that your biggest problem is you. <laughs> now you might not know, you might not be thinking that. Hopefully within the next 20 minutes, you'll be going, man, I'm a real problem, and I, I, need, I need some help. Now, by the way, that's the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is that the real problem in this world is each and every individual, and every individual needs Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for them, and they need the gospel to be a part of their life. Otherwise, they're lost, they're evil, and it's a terrible, it's a terrible eternity. That's the, that's the message of Christianity. Every single person is the problem. And I want you to see that you're still the problem. And your biggest problem every morning is you. And uh, so you have to abstain from sinful desires. And notice the way Peter says it, which war against the soul. Which war against the soul. I was just thinking, as, as we sang one of those songs, it talked about pilgrims, right? Pilgrims are strangers and aliens. They're not really a part of this world. And uh, the pilgrim church came over on the Mayflower, landed in the United States, and what they were doing is they were fleeing from that evil King James. You know him? He's the guy that did the Bible. And evil King James was persecuting the church, and the pilgrims thought, our biggest problem is King James. So we're going to leave England, and we're going to go to the United States. And they came over on the Mayflower, and it was half of the original Baptist church. They were the first Baptists. Half of them stayed in England. Half of them came to the United States on the Mayflower as the pilgrims. And their thinking was... If we go there, we'll get away from the evil dictator and everything will be okay. The problem is they brought themselves. <laughs> they weren't fleeing all their problems, right? They still brought their sinful desires which warred against their soul. They were trying to create a perfect world, however they brought themselves over. And so it wasn't going to be as perfect as they had thought. But they, they had the right idea. We are pilgrims. We are strangers in this world. We are aliens. We're living for another world. They thought it was on this earth. Our other world is in heaven, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, these desires wage war against your soul. So if you go to the next slide, Lynn. This is a picture of, uh, this is the city of Aleppo in Syria. And this is a number of years ago. Aleppo, a city of over a million people. It was a city of over a million people one of the World Heritage Cities. Uh, it's been around a long time, had one of the oldest Jewish, had one of the oldest Jewish synagogues, uh, a very significant city in northwest Syria. 
This was one of the first cities, though, to rebel against Assad regime. And so it has been hammered and devastated. If you go to the next slide, this is that same place now, right? If go, go back, go back again, Lynn. Go back, go backwards. Okay, see that? I want to go there. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that, right? Palm trees, looks warm, there's water. Now go, go back to that other slide. Okay, war, right? War is devastating. And uh, that's what Peter is saying. Your desires due to your soul. Your desires are making war against your soul and are destroying it. And I dare to say, I dare say that when we wake up every morning, none of us are too worried about ourselves. <laughs> we're worried about something else. Maybe we're worried about uh, our work or a bad person that we know or a financial problem. And our biggest problem, our desires, uh, we carry them with us. We have them with us all the time. Um, the word for desires uh, is ep epithumia, and it can mean passions or feelings or desires or lusts. Uh, it can be good or bad. Your desires are good or bad. So if I desire to help you or I desire to encourage you, that's a good desire. Or I might desire to use you so that I look good or I desire to have something from you or I desire to please myself and the desire becomes an evil desire, right? We are, Piper says, we are desire factories, and we desire all of the time. And so Peter has that little uh, description where he calls it the desires of the flesh or the passions of the flesh or the sinful desires. Abstain from those which wage war against the soul. Okay, so how are we going to abstain from desires? If you go to the next slide, Lynn. How to abstain from sinful desires. And as we go through this, I hope you'll see what desires are. Number one, recognize the problem. Uh, you are the problem. You are the problem. I was just reading a review of, uh, review of a biography, autobiography written by a former professor of mine, Jack Deere. And Jack Deere said he used to love the beauty of Jesus' Beatitudes, but he never really understood them. He would love them and talk about them, but he never understood them. He said, for instance... Uh, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. He goes, oh, that's beautiful. But he goes, he says, you know something? Most of us don't hunger and thirst for righteousness because we think we are righteous. And you don't hunger and thirst for something if you think you've already got it. Right? That's a desire. A desire is, is, is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. We don't desire that. We desire something else. We desire to be content. Or we desire to think good about ourselves. Thank you, Dan. Keep praying, keep praying for Dan. Dan. Dan lost his mom a week and a half ago now, Dan. Um, if you go to the next slide, recognize you're the problem. You are the problem. So this is from, this is from Jesus teachings from Jesus. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, I don't think you believe me when I say you're the problem. So this is from Jesus. And uh, 
Jesus is talking with the Pharisees about cleaning of hands. And the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of and his disciples, listen, you go to eat, you don't wash your hands, uh, that's, that's terrible. And Jesus goes, well, hand washing is not really the problem. Here's what Jesus says. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Now, first of all, I don't like that verse. The things that come out of a person's mouth defile them. That means what you say, right? You know what defiles you and makes you disgusting to God? The things that come out of your mouth. And where do those come from? They come from the heart. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with, with unwashed hands does not defile them. I, I dare say that we spend much more time uh, sometimes on our appearance and what we look like. I actually looked in the mirror this morning, needed some work. I couldn't do enough work. But what, what we, 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 look at, we make ourselves look good on the outside. We take showers and we put on clean clothes and, and we wash our hands and we groom ourselves so that we look good. And we often forget about the heart, which is the real problem. The real problem is the heart. Your biggest problem is you, and it's inside of you. Uh, this week I was down at... Uh, uh, fellowship uh, for Fellowship Baptists for Ontario. And uh, the speaker was speaking on human sexuality. And when I went, I thought, I don't really need to hear anything about human sexuality. That I, don't, I don't need another lesson on sexuality. Uh, it turns out I did need a lesson on it. But here, here's why I needed a lesson. So he was speaking about uh, homosexual um, transgender, those kind of issues, and how the Bible speaks to that and what it says. And uh, it was refreshing. So, for instance, if you take the homosexual agenda, or what they would say, or even what Christian homosexuals would say, they would say something like this, Jesus never spoke about the issue, which is true. Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. However, here's a text where Jesus mentions sexuality, fornication, or uh, sexual immorality, and that covers homosexuality. And notice where he says this comes from. It comes from the human heart. And it's not one group of people who have a problem with sexuality. It's every human being who has a problem with sexuality. Because we all have evil hearts. We're, we're broken and fallen people. And sex is one manifestation of our brokenness. And there are all kinds of ways that this manifests itself. So uh, do we have to worry about whether you're born this way or not? I would say we don't even have to worry about that. Because we would say, God did not make you broken. All of human beings are broken when they're born. Our biggest problem as soon as we're born is us. Um, I'll illustrate this with uh, Una's son, Parker, and I'm not picking on Parker. Last week, Parker asked me for a candy. I had one. I had one. I gave it to him. And he said, I want two. 
And I said, I don't have to. Now, by the way, why did he want to? Because he's got a little desire factory inside of him, <laughs> like we all do, and he wanted another one. So I said to him, I said, I don't have another candy. I said, I, I said you know something, I've, I've got a pack of gum in my office. Let's go to my office. And so we went to my office, I got him a stick of gum, and I said to him, I said, now, are you allowed to have gum? And you know what he said, yes, I am. He has never had gum in his life. <laughs> Why did he tell me yes? Because he's, he's a little desire factory, and he just wants things, right? Uh, now, I, now I taught him how to lie. Oh, no. I didn't even have to teach him. So now I'm in trouble because I have introduced gum to Parker, and he's only three. So the message of Christianity is every single one of us have this human heart, and uh, out of this comes evil things. And the only solution for your evil heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only solution. That's the only, that's the only way to solve this issue. Uh, so that's uh, point number one. Recognize the problem of your desires. You are your biggest problem. If you go back uh, a slide, please, uh, Lynn. Uh, number two, take control of your desires. You are not a slave. Take control of your desires. You are not a slave. Um, the scriptural story in Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 3, when Eve is tempted, it's interesting. It says that she looked at the fruit of the tree... And she saw that it was good. It was good for food. That's a desire. She looks at the, tr she looks at the fruit. She goes, I, I want some food. And it was pleasing to the eye. Looks good. Um, I don't know about you, but I like my food to look good. Right? Isn't it nice to have a little green on the plate and a little orange and a little something else? If it's all gray... If it's all gray or it's all brown, I, I don't know. That's just not as good. I like to see some little different colors. That's why you put a little sprig of parsley on it, just to make it pleasing to the eye. And then she said she, it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. Desirable. That's what we're talking about, desires. Desirable for gaining wisdom. And so she thought, not only do I want food, not only is it beautiful and I would like to have it, but it's also good for me because I will get smarter. And so she was just thinking about her desire to be like God, the most expensive food ever eaten. We're not even told what it tasted like, what it looked like. We're not even told what kind of fruit it was. But the wisdom gained was devastating. I don't need that food. I have many other choices. So take control of your desires. I don't need to look at that food because some beautiful things can be dangerous and self-learned wisdom is too expensive. My wisdom will be based on the fear of the Lord. God said, don't do it. I will fear him. That's the beginning of wisdom. Control your desires. Uh, Christians uh, control our desires and our passions, the lust of the flesh, so that we can have freedom to pursue our higher desires and passions. 
And one of them is in, is in the text that we read last week. You are a chosen people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That should be our passion. That's why he saved us. To declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. And if you give in to your desires, you can't declare the praises of God. You're declaring the praises of, hey, I love the fruit. Hey, it looks so good. Hey, I'm so smart. Point number three. Make the passion of the gospel your passion. Now, you're going to be a desire factory. So what is the desire factory going to want? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you've got your Bible, turn with me there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And listen to the desire and the passion of a Christian. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Just loving it. Oh, this is so wonderful. Though now for a little while you have made the head to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Loving Jesus. That's passion. I haven't seen him. I love Jesus. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I don't see him now, but Jesus is mine and he's my Lord. And oh, that's such great joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories it would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. By the way, see that even angels long? That's the same word for desire. Angels desire to look into these things. The passion of angels is to look at your salvation and figure it out. And angels just want to know about why Jesus is dying on the cross and how that works. And that's their passion and their desire that should be our passion and our desire. Make the passions of the gospel your passions. We're chosen by God to represent him, declare his praises. And if you live according to the passions of your lusts, you're not going to declare his praises. You're going to praise your meal, or you're going to praise your favorite sport team. I love sports. You can't get too passionate about it, though. We've got a higher passion. Point number four, embrace the life of the stranger and the alien. 
So as you go through the scriptures, there are a number there are a number of individuals in scripture who are living the kind of lives that I think we as Christians are going to live now. Uh, so for instance, uh, that uh, conference on human sexuality brought out the fact that as Christians we say homosexuality is wrong. Society now looks at that as you are actually killing people as Christians. That's the way society looks at it. Uh, Twenty years ago, our, our, our ideas were quaint with regard to sexuality. Now they're regarded as dangerous, that we are actually hurting people by our ideas, and that if you are a homosexual or a transgender person or whatever else you might pick on the LGBTQ um, Whatever, whatever else, they would say Christians are actually hurting people. People are feeling bad about themselves because of your views. Now, people in the Bible have, have lived that way. They have lived as strangers and aliens and been accused of wrongdoing even when they weren't. And so last week we looked at one, Noah. This week we're going to look at another one, Joseph. You know the story of Joseph? He was sold by his family into Egypt as a slave. Here he was, a God-fearing person. He's now a slave in a pagan land, pagan customs. He lands in Potiphar's house. And Joseph was a fine-looking young man, the Bible tells us. And Potiphar's wife saw Joseph. And day after day, Joseph was in charge of everything that Potiphar had, And Potiphar's wife, every day, asked him to have sex. Come and lie with me. Come and stay with me. And every day she asked him to do that. Finally, one day, she was alone in the house with him. And she was tired of asking. And so she went, and she grabbed hold of him, and she said, you're going to come and lie with me. And he ran away. Left his cloak. Well, her passion changed from a passion from sex to anger. One of those passions that we've got to control. And she called the men and she said, look what the Hebrew slave has done. And when her husband came home, look at the Hebrew slave that you bought. (laughs) Look what he has done. He has tried to have his way with me. And Joseph was thrown into prison. He's gone from slavery to even worse than slavery. He's in prison for doing the right thing. Accused of wrongdoing, but doing the right thing. And as as Christians, that's what we're going to be called to do in this world. And increasingly, in our culture, we're going to be accused of wrongdoing even when we're doing everything right and we'll suffer the consequences. That's what 1 Peter's talking about. Every week we'll talk about somebody else in the Bible. Finally, number five. Let your partner, the Holy Spirit, work in your life. If you go forward to to the slides there, Lynn, I think the last slide, Galatians chapter 5, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Right there again, you have that war. What's your problem? Your problem is you, or maybe you should say 
Don, me. <laughs> My problem is me. Your problem is you. Right? The desires of the flesh are against the Holy Spirit. So we need to have the Holy Spirit working His desires in our life. And notice how this, how this relates to the gospel. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And coming to Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ, we're saying, no, I'm not living for myself. I've got the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm living for that. Let your partner, the Holy Spirit, work in your life. Uh, the world in which we live is going to squeeze us and condemn us. And uh, the first step in living in this world in which we as Christians are now the evildoers is, number one, know who you are. And number two, abstain from the desires of the flesh. Control your desires. Let's instead have the desires of the Holy Spirit flooding out in our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what we need flowing out of us. It doesn't come from our hearts. It comes from our partner the Holy Spirit.